listening to the SV Pod, brought to you by Spielverlagerung. In today's show, we are going to a place in Germany where the sun never shines, where dreams are destroyed, hearts broken, and coaches fired. Yes, we are going to the Bundesliga relegation zone. If you like to take pleasure in the misery of others, then don't switch the channel. My name is Konstantin Eckner, and once again, I'm happy to count on the help of my co-conspirator, the Hungarian football analyst extraordinaire, Abel Mezharos. Hi, Abel. Thank you. Thank you for the for the introduction. And I especially like the part where uh, uh, we like to revel in other people's mis misery, because that's certainly that's certainly something we, we will occasionally do. But uh, I think we're not supposed to admit that. But I think I think this is this is a this is a conversation where we're going to be honest about those kind of things. I think there is a part of us that takes pleasure in the misery of others. Yeah, I think, I think we already revealed that when we talked about Schalke, for instance, in previous episodes. So it's nothing new. But of course, also for the listeners. I mean, if you if you just like to yeah, think about what's going on at the bottom of the Bundesliga, or maybe you are one of the unlucky fans of one of these clubs, then yeah, that's... Basically, this show is for you, and, and we will talk about, as I said, where the sun never shines, the Bundesliga relegation zone. And definitely, we should start with the bottom of the Bundesliga. So let's get to the bottom of it, basically. Let's start with Mainz 05, Mainz, yeah, 05 almost indeed. Um, four games, zero points, and Bayer Lotza has already gotten the stick. So, I mean, it looks pretty bad at Mainz. Um, what are your thoughts about you know, Bayer Lotz are getting fired and then Lichtenau becoming the interim coach, although Mainz they say that he's not the interim coach, he's just the coach. I don't know what's going on there, but um, that's what they tell you and don't believe any Bundesliga clubs ever, uh, especially the PR department are kind of questionable at times. Um, but um, seriously, I mean, they went from Bayer Lotze to Lichte, but I think when you look at the four games, they have lost all of them. Is there any improvement? Do you see anything going upwards, or is it just mines being the worst? Mm, I mean, like, like, I think I do, but, like, I mean, it's, it's, it's a little bit like the sort of new manager bounce that basically the old manager was you know, so bad that you can only kind of go up or, I mean, I mean, maybe there's examples from like HSV where you still get worse, but like, I think so. So I was never the, the buyer Lutzer appointment and even like his history as, as a coach is, is weird for me because like, if you remember, he was the guy that, you know, got fired mid season and Rangnick took over and Leipzig were in sort of the second division. Right. And, they they couldn't because they couldn't uh, get promoted right and and so and then he had like a successful spell with Jan Regensburg but it's you know it's like Jan Regensburg like so did Heiko Herrlich it's it's a very different thing when in the Zweite Liga where you know the talent is more evenly distributed and he's basically a pressing coach and <laughs> I thought that was my biggest problem with incidentally Köln for, that that we're also gonna <laughs> talk about last season. And then him going to Mainz is that I don't think they did pressing really well, you know, and it's certainly they didn't really do anything else. So they just became one of these teams that like they survived on some individual quality. And I felt like they were going to do that this season. But, you know, like I think the 
that there's a lot bigger problems than with mines, which is basically their club model. Um, basically, since Christian Heidel is, is just to identify talent cheaply, although I think it's not Heidel that was doing this. Like he's basically, if I understand, he wasn't really the one that was involved in the scouting process, but uh, they've done some really good jobs. Like, you know, Abdu Diallo and all these guys even recently you know, find him for 5 million, sell him for 30 and these kind of things. And the problem with that now is that with Corona, there's not that many buyers and like people are not going to be, you know, taking the 15 million on Robin Kleizon or, you know, 15 million on Mateta when he was injured for most of the season or when you're not playing them. And that, that there's also some rumblings around minds that a lot of times, like it seems like they're playing players to put them in a window, so to speak. So that was kind of my thing with them. And then, Obviously, with um, some of the, like they had some Corona issues with Eddie Milson Fernandez. I think there was an outbreak in the squad as well. Um, you know, there was obviously the, the massive scandal with Adam Saleh, very popular mm-hmm. guy. And basically, the team just cho- chose his side over Bayer Lorzer, even though like he doesn't really play anymore. So I think that tells a lot about how happy people were with Bayer Lorzer. Um, and then with Lichte, I think there's there's the things that I saw is that they're playing kind of a different formation, which is it's now much more like a four two three one four four one one, and basically Quaison, like I think against Leverkusen didn't start, and he was like a lot of times last season they played like a four three three or or some more with more attackers, um, but they. I think the, the fullbacks are an issue, right? Like there's um, obviously uh, they sold Reed Lebaku pretty late, probably one of their better players, one of the players that they could make some money from. So there's lots of issues. I mean, I'm, I don't want to, you know, make sure, want to make sure that you you get your points across. But basically, I, I think there's there's just a lot of things, and I mean, we can talk more about some of the in depth stuff. Yeah, I, f- I think that um, I mean early on or before the season, actually, I was not convinced, but I believed that mines could surprise some people. Um, that they would fare better than most expected because there is, I mean, when you write the you know season predictions, um, then a lot of people you know thought that mines would I don't know, finish last or at least be relegated, and I understood why because of how biolotsa didn't do well um, late last season. But on the other hand, I thought that Biolotz's time um, was almost over before the season even started. So he was in borrowed time back then. And I mean, it came true, right? Um, the team wasn't happy with him. Um, I think the Shawlai scandal in a way um, where the team refused to go out to training um, because Shawlai was basically sent to the reserve team um, that because he stood up to to the coach and to the to the club officials um, there was just you know I was representative of uh, deeper issues it wasn't like um, all about Chawlai, Um I don't think so but um, I mean I remember the f- their first match against Leipzig this season mm-hmm. it wasn't you couldn't really point at stuff uh, where you say all right they they do stuff wrong tactically i mean they did but it wasn't um it wasn't like a sole tactical issue and they just you know, needed a new coach and then uh, the coach solved a few things and then all would be uh, going up again i don't think so um what i saw was was a team that had no intensity at all yeah. that didn't look 
really fit. And I mean, it's hard to say. Um, you don't know the numbers and uh, you don't know what how they plan out the season. Some coaches try to let their teams peak later um, during the season, which can work, of course. Um, but if, uh, but in terms of mines or when it, when it comes to mines, um, they were basically late up front. They didn't you know, apply pressure against Leipzig. And then once the first or second line got past, um, there wasn't much that the back line could do. Um, they were just always one or two steps too late um, and couldn't keep up with, with Leipzig. And I think uh, watching the other matches that came after the, like the disaster um, in the first match, I think you saw more or less the same. I mean, I guess it, it looks like the team improved slightly, but they are coming from a really low baseline um, and uh, that makes things harder. I think, I think in terms of personnel, Mainz is a team that, despite the issues they have had, um, they've still a couple of highly talented players. I mean, you mentioned Mateta. I think Pia Kunde is one of the better center midfielders in the bottom half mm-hmm. of the Bundesliga. Um, Nia Kate, uh, one of the better center backs in the bottom half. Armaton mm-hmm. um, is... I think one of the better left backs in the bottom half, but problem is like some of these players didn't play much on the Bayer or they played, but like were misused or I don't know. It just looked like they didn't really care. Um, so I'm, I mean, it's not like an in-depth analysis here, but I think uh, with a team like mines, it's hard really to point at, at a few things that went, uh, went wrong because like I had the feeling that like everything went wrong. And of course, yeah. Bayer himself as a coach. I mean, he now he had um, his stint at Cologne and now at Mainz, and I think he has proven that he is not like up to par in the Bundesliga. Um, yeah. he, he has a reputation or had a reputation as a pressing coach, and I think well earned um, because of Jan Ringsburg or because of his time at Jan Ringsburg. What you should remember, what you should know, is that like Bayer before he went to RB Leipzig. He was more or less like uh, he wasn't a full-time coach. He wasn't a professional coach. Mm-hmm. He was you know, working as a teacher in in yeah. Bavaria, and then he got a call from Kreuter Fürth, which is basically his hometown club in a way, or like his local which club, is where he knows uh, Ruben Schröder from, right? That, that was yeah, kind of, of course, yes, and that also played a role in yeah. him going to Mainz after his uh, atrocious stint yeah, yeah. at Cologne. Um, but yeah, he, I mean, he got a job at, at Kreuter Fürth at the academy, and like. Of course, why not? I mean, th- these things happen. Uh, and even when he went to RB Leipzig, it wasn't like planned that he would take over the, the first team. Yeah. It was more like him working at the academy. And then he, of course, embraced some of or a lot of the, the RB Red Bull philosophy. Uh, but I think what, what happened then was he couldn't really apply that kind of philosophy or transfer that philosophy to um, something valuable on the pitch when he coached Le- Leipzig. And I think the same happened then when he went to Cologne because of what, what his teams did was they were sitting deep, they were applying no pressure, and there was like no like sophisticated movement um, against the early phases of the buildup. Um, and so, like I don't know. And then you have a, a team that sits deep, applies no pressure up front, um, and also doesn't have the um, individual quality at the back line or in the back line 
to do anything uh, or to defend as effective as you have to do at that point over the course of 90 minutes. So Cologne, they looked decent for 30 or 40 minutes, but then like everything broke down and uh, they they conceded a few goals and and, uh, they were done for the day. And with Mainz, it looked quite similar. Difference was that like Mainz, the breakdown happened even early in some of these matches. Right, it took them like fifty minutes, uh, 15, fifteen minutes, and it was over. Um, so, and I think the problem is now, or I believe that the problem is with mines. The main issue is that that they have to get rid, or they have to wash, basically that away, and and that that takes a while. And I mean, I don't know what they are planning to do because I I don't think that Lichte is like the solution, because what he has shown in the past few matches after Bialotto was fired. What didn't convince me at least uh, because it looked as they wanted to be a bit more proactive uh, but it looked still quite similar to um, to the matches before so Ira Lichte has like this long term plan where he says alright I will I want to transform this team uh, over you know within a month or in two months but not within a week or two alright I mean maybe but then you're rock bottom zero points I don't know how, how long you can you can do that uh, until you lose lose completely the connection to or the, you know you're you're so far behind the other teams um, that you can't recover from that I don't know if that's like smart uh, but on the other hand like who is out there on the market who could take over mines right now yeah. and, and really you know make an impact improve the team and do something about all the issues they have in all phases of the game. I don't really see that kind of person. I mean, of course, you can like like be completely ridiculous and say like, yeah, of course. I mean, Allegri and Pochettino, they would of course change minds, but they don't come to minds. I mean, they are more shopping in the like second Bundesliga or something, mm-hmm. Bundesliga two. So I'm not sure. And, and Sandro Schwarz, he former minds coach, he just signed with Dynamo Dresden, so that's also not possible. Not Dynamo Moscow, I think even. Uh, Dynamo Moscow. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, like I think like so. Lichter. Um, I mean, I just thought about like who who should be available. Maybe Andre Schubert because he was like Lichter and him were, you know, they were basically he was his assistant coach when he was at Paderborn and St. Pauli as well. So, but I think like like people that are close to Mainz uh, said some good things about Lichter. He seems to be a very intelligent guy who. But to me, more much more like a, a guy who is a sort of an assistant manager, you know, for mm-hmm. ten years now. So um, I always I don't know about his leadership qualities because you'd have to be there to, to observe. But it's a really it's a really tough job, right? Because of you're basically jumping in to to be. And he was there for Sandro Schwartz. He was there for a lot of guys. So um, it, it's he he's he's. He's in a tough situation because I think like the the, the 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 issues are much larger because I think like Mainz did have an identity under Tuchel and Klopp and obviously that's not the standard you can ever live up to anymore. I think that was much more of good planning or even I think happy accident is 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 probably not fair to them, but it's more of good planning. But I think and everybody has struggled with this, and I think that there were some good good spells under Sandro Schwartz where at least they tried to play out of the back. Like I remember that they, they played against Dortmund and, and played a really good like four diamond two and then some sometimes mixing with the three in the back. And they had the good identity where they pressed well. Like they looked like a, a modern team. And and not that Sandro Schwartz was like a great coach. I I, th- I think he's a very decent Bundesliga coach. But um 
and it didn't work or and and then and then they just seem to hire these kind of people like like a martin schmidt you know like you don't you're not really going anywhere with those people and the squad as you mentioned there's lots of really nice players but you don't really know how they fit tactically i think that's kind of a theme of this podcast of this sort of misfit toys because like like uh, so we for example, I was looking at some of the buildups when 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 you were asking me to to kind of check check what's happened with mines and and basically like I remember them, them having like like Niakate has a really good left foot who can you know diagonally pick some passes. Um, I think Luca Kilian, who they signed from Paderborn and ex Dortmund, he's actually not bad either in, in sort of the with the ball. Like I, I certainly remember watching a lot of Paderborn last season and he's the guy who stood out so there's something there but like the last couple games against Leverkusen and uh, even Union Berlin they just didn't even like it was like they were told not to like they don't have an intention of building up it was basically you know just Kunde Kunde was just always hiding uh, behind the cover shadow of usually sort of the, the central um, or central striker or even just the like I think um, Amiri was sometimes pressing up on him. And they basically tried to just build up with either a long ball or sometimes progress down the wings. And this is what I meant by not really... Like the fullback situation is completely weird because they're, play, they're playing Brosinski, who's more or less a, a right back, who plays left back because he he's got, you know, he, he can kick the ball long, basically, <laughs> and, and good set pieces. And at right back, they're they now playing Saint-Just, who is actually, I think, is maybe even the most talented center back that, or defender that they have because he's got the sort of skills and, and speed to, to play as a fullback even. Um, and he's very active. But, you know, they, they tried Mbene, who wasn't there. And, and Aaron Martin, like, he's not, there's not three coaches that have given up on him. Like, Sandro Schwartz is the one who called him the little Spanish diva in, in training. <laughs> uh, and, and, and basically the implication was that he wasn't really tough enough. And now I think Bayer Lorzer didn't favor him. And now Lichter was this week, he was saying that he wasn't even in the squad or that he, you know, others are, are ahead of him just because of the training. So like, I, I was a big fan of Aaron mostly for his attacking qualities, but if you're not really going to play out of the back and you're not going to like, you're just going to be this kind of team that, is just going to dump it long to Mateta and then hope you win the second ball. And then maybe Danny Latza is going to counter press or Bozius, whatever. Then, you know, his value, and especially if he's not been playing, is diminishes because I think in a back four, he's not a very good defender. So I don't know. I think there's there's just a lot of things. And, and internally, obviously, there's a ton of problems whenever there's strikes and coaches being let go. So I think the, the big problem is Ruven Schroeder, who, uh, you know, extended the contract in february and so now he's now he's tied up until 2024 so i imagine it's a lot of money to to buy him out and again like you mentioned the same thing with the with the trainer is like who would take that job you know like uh, know, would you get somebody who's better than him but it's it's this thing where who, who you know now if you if you get relegated then then how are you selling your players so so i think that that's kind of the big problem for for mines is I don't really like what's what's their way out of it because it doesn't look like it's gonna be you know like now they're in a you know battle for survival where they just have to win games pretty ugly. So I just I don't know like I'm not really I'm not really seeing how how that's gonna go. I don't know about what you see with them. And there was a rumor that Christian Heidel could come back. Um, yeah, I saw that to to Mainz. I don't know how how I mean we will see. I, I think Heidel is looking for a 
a new job in, in mm-hmm. German football, probably. I mean, he's also um, spending time in Spain, so uh, you never know. But I think uh, German football would be the, the kind of place where he wants to come back to. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, of course, with these um, comeback stories or you know, re- returning home stories, you never know how they work out. It could also be um, completely going or it could go wrong completely and getting rid of Ruben Schröder could be kind of a complicated thing as it's usually with getting rid of your sporting director, the the, the guy who has done all the contracts with players, you know, um, talks to all the agents and all all this other stuff. So you never know. Um, In terms of like what's happening on the pitch, I mean, yeah, I, I think or it hurts them in a way that uh, they have a lot of these long balls to Mateta and then basically the, the old, um, you know, ping pong strategy, like um, trying to pick up the second ball, the loose ball and, and then doing something uh, with it. But usually you don't get the second ball. And even if you get that, um, you don't, you don't make much out of the rebound. Um, because like, You don't really have the, structure um to do anything then from there even if you pick up the rebound um and uh, statistically mines they have like i think the second lowest number of deep completions um like similar to what bielefeld has but i mean bielefeld they are uh, a different team and and bielefeld also when they get into the final third they usually get into the final third with like uh, four, five, six players, you know, well structured, well positioned, look uh, facing the opposing goal uh, and moving forward. So with mine's is of course different. Um, there's this little structure there, um, and yeah, and also statistically they have the slowest pace towards goal, which is basically what you just said. You know, in build up, um, they have like five players at the back. Uh, Kunde, who is like probably the most talented center midfielder they have, but like, he doesn't really want to take any responsibility, which is interesting because remember under Santos Schwartz, he was the guy who took a lot of responsibility, who, yeah. who picked up a lot of balls deep and then carried the ball for a couple of yards and played these diagonal passes. Um, and so he's capable of doing this stuff. Uh, but now he doesn't want to do it anymore, which is, which tells you something about just what's going on or what what's going wrong with this team and uh, mm-hmm. inside the team probably. So um, yeah, I mean that's why right now they are slow. Um, they have no intensity once they turn the ball over, um, and they have no structure up front or the final third, I should say. Uh, if if uh, even if they pick up a rebound, so I mean that's like. It's a recipe for disaster, and I don't really know how they can recover from it. Um, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm also greatly disappointed in in Mines just because I thought before the season that they might be able to prove some of the some of the doubters wrong, um, some of the distractors, but I don't think that will happen. I, I don't, I don't really believe in them anymore. Um, and as you said, I mean, Lichte, for instance, might be a smart guy. But uh, can you really turn around a team like that? I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure. Yeah. And then what? And then you maybe um, relegate him, you know, put him back into assistant coaching position and then hire someone four or six weeks later and then you you lost a lot of 
available time um, and a lot of points, you know, and the gap grows. So I'm not sure. Um, I mean, they're, they're in a position where they should act now. I mean, usually I'm not the one who's calling for like, you know, coaches being sacked and new coaches being hired and all this stuff. Uh, but with Mainz, I mean, they, they, are, they are too bad to do nothing. And yeah. that's kind of a statement. Um, so are you, do you want to add anything or should we move on? No, I think I think it's it's kind of we belabored the point, and I, I still feel like you know Jonathan Burkhardt is playing at Estunali, and it's like I don't really know like what these like. It, there, there's also some talented young guys like Paul Nabel. I think has been mm -hmm. getting some good buzz. But I don't know, like it, it doesn't seem to be like the right time to be playing some of these players, and you already know what you're getting. And I don't know, it's just it's just yeah, like Barreiro I think is interesting, but they they have a lot of interesting players. Like if I was you know one of these. As one of these Bundesliga teams that was just like looking for for squad players, you, be, you could do much worse than pick off Mainz. I know that's very cynical, but it's probably what's going to happen. Probably, I I've, I just mentioned Kunde, uh, someone who will be picked up by well, another Bundesliga team or maybe a French team, or you never know. But you know, by a by a first division team. Um, well, we forgot about uh, Kevin Stöger, our, our favorite, who's uh, who's going to be who's going to be playing. He might even play this weekend, so he could be That's like right. the one. The one one silver lining for Mainz is that yeah, maybe he will uh, carry. Yeah, them. I, I guess. I mean, they, they played Borussia as their number ten against Leipzig. So mm -hmm. our first, yeah. I mean, Stöger should be an improvement, which is also interesting uh, because Kaizen, I mean, he was their default like secondary striker, number ten hybrid, something like that i mean he's not a number 10 of course but he's yeah. he played as you know in this in this secondary striker role behind mateta a lot um or even I'm as sure a secondary striker next together. to mateta sorry yeah, i'm not sure they worked together quizon and and, and mateta because quizon was really good when mateta was out last year but it was more that's like right yes he was getting but, but no of course i mean i i can see a scenario in which uh Stuger will just take over the number 10 position uh but if that will that solve anything i'm not sure he will add some uh quality he has more energy um he's he also knows how to uh, move behind the soul center forward so there's there's at least something and uh, going his way um but general i don't think that kevin stöger is the kind of player that can turn your team around what about um, like playing a diamond where where he like kunda is the six and like latza and stöger are the eights and then like botius is the 10 and like kaizon and mateta is that too too well, that would be what, what sandro schwartz did yeah I exactly mean, he, yeah, play, yeah, he played the diamond a lot um i mean yeah, yeah, he yeah. didn't have uh stöger as his number eight and i don't know if you think that latza played um as a number on uh, number eight a lot but I mean that that's what they they did under um yeah. under Schwartz and I think it worked out quite well in some of these matches. They had the tendency to play a lot of diagonal balls. Um you know, yeah. with Kunde or Nyakate. Mm -hmm. Um uh, yeah, I wasn't sure like aesthetically it wasn't like the most pleasing team, but no. Um, it was quite um, effective, and I think they utilized uh, Kaizen quite well because he is the more—I I shouldn't say mobile uh, striker compared to Mateta—but he is more up to you know uh, running a lot, covering a lot of space, you know, drifting wide, pick, picking up these long balls. Um, it's also more like 
combine like in combinations is more useful. Like Mateta, like I think people like Mateta, and, and I think he's he's a good finisher. I don't like a lot of other parts of his game. You know, I like he's physical, whatever. But I don't, I like for example, I don't. He's really really low, like pass completion and, and the creation stuff. Like I don't think he, which is interesting because like when I now I'm looking at the statistic where Mines has the the fewest uh, live ball passes that led to a shot attempt. Just twenty five, so like lower than Schalke and Augsburg, and that's and the, the lowest in the yeah. That's 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 not something. That's not something where you wanna. That's not something where you wanna be. So, but that's probably enough. Yeah. Online. Well, I mean, we will see. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure about them. Uh, I'm not sure if they will recover from this really bad bad start. Um, but. On the other hand, I mean, uh, like, remember how the Bundesliga looked a year ago and mm-hmm. look at how it turned out. And uh, I mean, I guess there's still hope for them. But also remember, you know, a year ago, uh, I think it looked quite well for uh, Schalke. Do you remember? Uh, didn't I look remember as, that pretty well. It didn't look like as actually... bad as it looks today. Which brings us to our next team to... 17th placed uh, Schalke 04, um, the club of Gelsenkirchen. And uh, I think, I mean, the, the listeners don't know that, but we um, send each other some, some statistical um, graphics, some, some radars, and I sent you one, or I sent you two actually, the, uh, the, the famous uh, stats from radars, um, the one that shows the attacking qualities of the team and the one that shows the defensive qualities of the team. And when you look at Schalke's radars, they are pretty much empty. Yeah. I mean, the attacking the attacking radar is pretty much just showing them that they are bad at everything other than box box cross accuracy. So, I guess they are good at you know playing the ball into the box at a certain height. So, all right, good for them. Yeah. Uh, but no, just kidding aside. I mean, that's and uh, we talked about mines and there's like similar conclusion with Schalke um, they are pretty much bad at everything and also they are pretty much bad in every phase of the game but I think with Schalke as opposed to Mainz um, they had more issues before they got rid of um, David Wagner They the, the most pressing issues they had were in possession as opposed to like um, defensively, of course they concede a lot of goals, but there are also factors um, that you know um, were important in regards to that they just never established any kind of dominance. So, um, so of course that defense was targeted a lot and had to um, fight possession, opposing possession a lot. Um, but I think their most pressing issue was really that they didn't have any kind of possession or any kind of structure in possession that have any clue how to build up from the back. So, mm-hmm. and that brings me to my first question to you, because I mean, I have made up my mind about it, but I want to get your opinion on it. They hired Manuel Baum to replace David, uh, David Wagner. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course, why not? I mean, we talked about it. The, the coaching market in Germany is at that level, at least first division Bundesliga football. Um, there's not much of a market there. You don't have uh, really that many free agents unless you want to go to some of the old guys. But I think there's a generation of coaches that has quietly yeah. retired. Um, so 
Although we have to acknowledge that, of course, Peter Neurohar uh, expressed his interest in taking over and once again. Hoops, Hoops Stevens is not getting this job for the 19th time? Not, not yet, not yet. Uh, but he's ready to go if uh, Manuel Baum gets the stick. Yeah, no, but um, but I think what I when I uh, think about Manuel Baum and his time at Augsburg, um, I think about a coach who is very smart, who some say doesn't have the best communication skills. You can't really get his points across to the team, uh, who sometimes might be a little bit too. You know, complicated in his explanations to uh, when he talks to players, which is, of course, I mean, that's a point of concern. But I think that can be fixed in a way, um, because there's also there are also assistant coaches and you know, like on, and also teams Nal- and players are different. Sorry, can, that's why you have Naldo. He can he can get it across. <laughs> yes, of course, not Naldo, also uh, known as one of the uh, <laughs> great speakers of our time, um, especially in German. You know, his native his native German language. <laughs> No, but I guess, I mean, there were issues in regards to his communication skills and that um, parts of the Augsburg team were not happy with him at the end. Um, and I mean, that yeah. might be true. But I think the, the thing that stuck in my mind was that Augsburg's defensive structure, his the, the organization of Augsburg's defense was quite good, even, mm-hmm. at, even at the tail end of his stint at Augsburg. It yeah. wasn't that bad. But that brings me to the first question. Is Manuel Baum actually the right coach for Schalke considering their issues in possession? Like, is he the kind of coach that can solve these attacking issues, these possession issues? Or is it just a move where they looked at basically transfermarket.de.com and just checked out all the all the coaches that are free agents right now and it just picked the you know the best one? I, I don't know, but I, I, I don't think really what are they hoping Manuel Baum to achieve with this team? Well, I think they picked the cheapest one. That was certainly compelling, right? right? Cause, cause that <laughs> Good was, point. I mean, and this isn't, this isn't really like a knock on Manuel Baum. It's because, I mean, I like Manuel. I actually watched pretty much like all the Augsburg matches back then and really was like, I mean, I, I remember like tweeting a lot about their like kickoffs or set pieces because they had some really innovative ones. And like for people that don't know, Manuel Baum um, actually has a lot of like good DVDs and some of these like Fachbücher yeah. um, or this sort of like basically like books on coaching and, and, and training. And he used to do a lot of TV analysis for, for some of the other players. So he's a guy who definitely knows his stuff. And um, I, I think like, uh, also has a teaching background, if you remember, like with the, uh, uh, I think it was Philip Max that was one of his one of his students. So so he's a he's a guy who is pretty well respected for you know a guy who had like not a huge career as a I think he's a goalkeeper at like one point sixty nine centimeter or meters, um, but it's just who was available at this point with with Schalke being two hundred whatever million in debt. So I think that that's and then that's where I would start my sort of analysis on them which i mean i wrote a lot about them even the end of david wagner's year. and and my kind of thinking about schalke is that under wagner a lot of the success early was you know the good start and when you when you were mentioning about wh- when they were so good I, I remember because like i think the day that my son was born was actually like the day that i 
did this, the stats bomb piece for Sh- about Schalke when, when they were amazing and beating Leipzig and all that. But I think a lot of this is like they're and already I think even even when they were when I, they were at the highest, I, I had my concerns that this is good, but how is it going to work when some team just figures out that okay, let's give them the ball because David Wagner had no idea what to do with the ball, and you know they were good in pressing and taking advantage of like set pieces and um, game state. And there, the problem with that was that it, they became really predictable because it's, I mean, it's not exactly like a huge thing where like you're pressing teams and you're successful on sex pieces. Like, I feel like people can prepare for that. And you certainly saw that in the Rukrunde and, and then they just didn't have a, like, I mean, remember like some of these build up patterns they had when it was just like, a four one five with McKenney on an island and and uh I think it's that that part like with Manuel Baum it's probably gonna get better a little bit and, and I did see some 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 minor improvements in, in that regard when when it comes to like I think against like Union Berlin there were some better structures in the wings like it was basically um first of all like they're playing out with four in the back which is now new because um Wagner started out, but then when they started losing, he would just go to like a five in the back. And I think even Baum did that. And um, playing kind of like Mascarel with Pentaleb and Bozdogan in sort of a like a 4-3-3, 4-2-3-1 sometimes. Um, I like Kilian Ludwig as, as a guy that Manuel Baum picked up. And they brought him in as a free agent because they didn't have a right back. And then again, like this comes down to money, right? Because they were forced to even like they couldn't resign John Joe Kenny or Kalijuri, all these guys that were, you know, important players because of the lack of money. And they got all these players back that nobody wanted, like the you know the Bentaleb and uh, you know Ralph Fairman and the guys do you know Markut, like all these guys that came back on loan, Sebastian Rudi who now left. So it's going to be hard for those players to play for a coach like Wagner who didn't want them in the first place. So with Baum, maybe they're going to get a second chance. So I think like Uts had a really nice game against Paderborn. Like he scored like four goals and some friendly, and then he got hurt. So he's kind of not there. I think they're still missing Suat Serdar. So, like, there is a team there. Like, you kind of think, like, okay, if everybody's healthy, like Arit, you know, eventually you think, like, he's recovered from from COVID. Like, there's, there's a lot of a lot of individual talent. I think, like, um, I mean, the, the game against Union Berlin, it wasn't pretty, but at least there was enough where they, you know, showed something. I mean, not, to, like, it wasn't, you know, amazing or anything, but they showed some improvements, I would say, just in terms of, you know, the bar before was just, you know, abject. And, you know, but they're not like, I mean, it's it's also like they played Bayern. So that game, you almost have to kind of throw it out because it's going to skew all the statistics that you have, right? Because 8-0 and none of the ball, right? But it isn't, you know, I think there there might be something. I don't know. I don't know what you think about them sort of longer term. Well, I guess I mean what I could envision is that that they don't uh, will be relegated, uh, you know, yeah. after or at the end of the season. But I think that they will just struggle in almost all of their matches because they uh, will, they will yeah, in, in in a way. I mean, they are the, they are the new HSV. Yeah. I mean, they are the new Hamburg um, of this league, just because uh, because of the, the depth they have. Uh, accumulated and like the bad business decisions they have made for 
uh, almost like seven, eight years now, at least. And even before that, like Schalke was never, even, even if they played like, um, you know, for the championship or like, um, among the Champions League teams, there was still like the feeling that they, that there is something not going right at Schalke and maybe the next, headline will be just around the corner or something is going up and like some some scandal involving a player and, and club official the coach whatnot you you never knew it but you knew that something will happen at Schalke and it will be kind of crazy and there will be some some sort of chaos uh but coming back to, to this current team is just yes they don't have money um they couldn't sign Anyone like on on a huge contract? Um, yes, they signed Ibizovic for basically he's basically playing for nothing. Like he's not really getting that that kind of salary you get as a Bundesliga uh, player. Um, Ludovic also just picked him up. I mean, second division side. Um, yes, Pacencia is is maybe one player they signed um, that has sort of a future and has like some, some kind of, of market value right now, I guess can tell it okay, and can um, say that. But other than that, I mean, there's, there's not much going on in terms of like transfer activities, but um, I still think that team is fairly talented. I think, especially the midfield, you mentioned it, you got Mascarel as a holding midfielder. You got Suat Serda as your kind of box to box player, the kind of player you need. Harit as your, you know, number 10, ringer, eight, something like, like a versatile attacking midfielder. So these are three um, that should play for you if they are healthy. Then you got uh, Bochdogan, who's like kind of uh, one of the younger guys who, you know, they put a lot of hope into him. Um, Benito Rahman, is, I think, you know, has been sold short in a way but I think yeah he had a, he had a good first half uh, first Hinrunde first half last season it was tremendous at times uh, then he also just dropped off but I basically I think he's he depends a lot on what's going on for team I think there was the same when he played at Dusseldorf like when things went well he was outstanding when things went south he was just as bad as anyone else so I guess, and then Matondo is also someone who's who's fairly talented. So I think if you look at this kind of group of players, you can envision a team that can be quite successful. But I think what what will happen is that they won't be successful in a sophisticated way. They they won't you won't show anything where you say, "Well, that was a great play and a great combination play." Well, that was well thought out and stuff like that. And oh yeah, they they've developed something. You know, they refined their build up and now they. You know, they use some spaces differently and have like new positional structures and stuff like that. I don't think that will happen. What will happen is probably that they will just struggle all the time with like their precision game. But because they have the individual quality and because they have these Mascarels and Suat Serdas who can just make things up on the fly. Um, without you getting the instructions from the outside or even if they get them, but they just do it the way they think it's best to do. Um, they will have some success or at least score enough points to not get relegated, uh, but it will be a struggle and it won't be a pretty. And it's and I think you only delay the eventual outcome because mm-hmm. if they don't make a clear cut at some point, and, and they don't say, all right, we hire a coach 
that Ivor is so well versed in terms of pressing and like like in, in a Jurgen Klopp's kind of way that we can be a team that's uh, more about defending and turnovers and transition attacks and counterattacks. I rehire some uh, such a coach, or we hire finally someone who understands a thing about possession football. Because if you look back at the uh, at the coaches that you know coach there managed the team recently, uh, Domenico Tedesco, David Wagner, and now Manuel Baum. I mean, like no, th these are the kind of coaches that don't understand that much about possession football. They are smart guys. I think all three of them are smart guys. But you know, being smart and like being a possession coach, two different things. Of course, you don't have to be good in possession, especially in the Bundesliga. Uh, I mean, we see a lot of teams that aren't. But if you, if you decide to not be a possession-style side, then at least uh, hire someone who understands uh, a lot about high presses and you know how to force turnovers around the halfway line. And, you know, uh, I mean, the kind of things you can. Be David Wagner, right? Like, I mean, that, that's kind of thing. Uh, that was, was he or was he not? I'm not sure. I mean, I, mean I think I think the idea was because he was he's like yeah, yeah. Uh, somewhat of a, like Jurgen Klopp student, you know, in a way. Right. Uh, although he's pretty, he's only his best buddy and not really a student. Yeah. But all right, um, I think the idea was that he would like um, embrace the, the Jurgen Klopp football. But I think I mean we have learned over the years that like it takes a lot of help and a lot of um, a lot of people, and not just Jurgen Klopp. To play Jurgen Klopp football, I think Liverpool right now shows that that he needs a backroom staff, he needs assistants, he needs specialists around him. It's not like Jurgen Klopp rolls out of bed and decides how the football world will be will be defeated. That's not just right how now, he will uh, defeat the football world. That's not how things work. And I think with Wagner, it was just he was it was him. And and what also I don't really liked about Wagner, um, and not to hate too much on him. But um, and some of it might have been PR and and you know reputation damage management, but he also at the end of last season he was like, all right, uh, we made a kind of like um, analysis about the issues we had, and it was more like we weren't aggressive enough, we weren't intense enough, we weren't like progressive enough. It was like all these kind of empty words, and also it's more sounded like more uh, we didn't try hard enough. There was the problem. Where you know, all right, that's not what went wrong. It was not about trying hard enough. It's usually not about trying hard enough. It's there are deeper issues, and he didn't address any of them. And it wasn't surprising that it just you know the season this season started exactly how last season ended. And like, all right, surprise, surprise. Now he's out of a job. Congratulations. And, and also, like, it's not that those things were true because they had like, I mean, I, I was looking at the numbers and they had like the third most attacking third pressures over the whole season. So even with the poor, like, uh, I mean, maybe some of those pressures went up when, when they were like behind in the, a lot of the Rukrinda matches, but it's not, and it wasn't actually true <laughs> what he was saying. And by the way, I think like Jacob Uvac is fist pumping somewhere in, in Moscow now that we've, we've referenced him, his team, his team twice now because talking about Klopp and the people behind Klopp. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think he, uh, he had his own own storyline going on this summer, right? I mean, yeah. uh, with, the, with, with his interview and telling yeah. that he. He was the coach for how how long? Sixteen years or something. Sixteen years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's like. He was yeah. the coach for sixteen years. 
Oh yeah, I mean, I remember, I remember that one time when when um, Klopp was sent uh, to the stands when Dortmund played at Napoli. I think it was in um, it was in 2013 yeah, after the Champions League season, um, and and Seko Buvac had to take over and you know barely um, did the job of the first team senior coach um, during that match because uh, Klopp had to leave the coaching area after 20 or so minutes because he was just outraged and like I don't know insulting the referee or something something Klopp like, um, and then Buvac was just standing at the sideline. Um, not really moving, <laughs> not saying much, and you saw exactly the difference between head coach like yeah. Jurgen Klopp and a very intelligent um, assistant coach with an analytical mind, yep. like Serko Bubac is. But uh, I don't think he's he's the kind of Klopp type that's also catching people and talking to their hearts um, and also uh, making them run like hell for him. Um, so I don't know really what to what to say about uh, Serko Buvac. I'm I'm in a way amazed that not one Bundesliga team has given it a, a shot and like just said, hey, all right, we just hire Buvac and maybe uh, things work out. Because usually with these kind of quote unquote famous assistant coaches, you yeah. often have that right that they at least get one chance um, after they divorced uh, from their from their boss. Um, that they get at least one chance being the first uh, team or the head coach, and um, usually it doesn't go well. I mean, how many mm-hmm. assistant coaches really did did well for themselves after they divorced their bosses? Um, not really that often. Um, so I'm not sure, uh, but that's a different thing. I don't really think that uh, Schalke will hire uh, Seko Buvac anytime soon. Although, I mean, why not? I mean, they they hired David Wagner, and maybe they will try the next club guy. Um, you don't know. You don't know. They uh, are all desperate in a way. Um, yeah, but I mean, he has no reason to leave sporting director job in Dinamo Moscow. Like he, I guess, got appointed in February. So I mean, unless things go horribly wrong for him, and I mean, I don't know. I just I, what, what's like? It's probably a better job than being the Schalke coach, to be honest with you. Yeah, I guess. Um, it, it depends. I mean, I f- I think Schalke right now still with. The players they have, I, I know, you know, I mean, right back position like Ludovic and um, losing Daniel Caligiuri, which is also, I mean, in, uh, in a way, it's like unbelievable, right? I mean, that they, they lost Caligiuri. Uh, it's just, I, I couldn't believe it. Uh, I mean, there were rumblings about him leaving for Augsburg um, throughout last or midway through last season. So it was kind of anticipated at some point, but still. Uh, I couldn't believe it that he would leave Schalke and like uh, how the how the mighty have fallen away. That was really a showcase there. Um, but that being said, I think still a, a decently talented team. Yeah, and I think a good coach could have some fun with them, especially right now because like what w- what are the expectations for the Schalke yeah. team? Like finishing 14 for something? All right, I, I, okay. If you're, if you, let's say you're, you're, uh, I mean, we come back to like our, our famous free agents on the, on the coaching market. Like if you're, uh, Massimiliano Allegri, I mean, I don't know. I, I know that he won't go to Schalke, but if you're someone like him, like you could have some fun with it, right? Because there's no pressure at all. It's just like, all right, uh, I try some things out. I have these, I have the Suat Serra and, and, you know, German international and Parrot. Um, 
I mean, players, yeah. coaches usually like. I will just try something, and we will see if if it works out. Uh, but I think that's that's. I mean, like, you, you need you need to be kind of a big shot and have a reputation that uh, yeah, even if you care. lead Schalke into a Bundesliga two, it won't really hurt your reputation. Yeah, I mean that's why they said Rangnick for for you know the the the, the, the NC time, but even he was like, I'm not I'm not taking on this. I don't know. I, I think like what could be interesting is that um, obviously they're playing the derby against Dortmund this weekend, and um, that's always you know. I mean, I was like one of my really interesting memories was being there. Um, I think it's two years ago now. Uh, or yeah, it was like twenty twenty nineteen. Yeah, actually, 20, so twenty nineteen season, um, two seasons ago, when, when you know they were like forty points behind Dortmund, and they still, you know, came to the Signali Duna Park and uh, you know t- handed Dortmund the the, the loss, uh, the four two with, with with Royce getting sent off, and I think somebody else, maybe Marius Wolf, somebody else got sent off, but with Kalijuri actually scoring those goals, and and I think that's that's the thing with with, with Schalke is that you still you know like. You mentioned all these players, and like you, maybe the more time passes between games, you you, you still think, oh, this this could, this could happen, and maybe there's like I don't know, I think it could be Manny Obama. I don't know what you how you feel about the derby, and how do you feel about them, sort of, you know, medium to long term. Yeah, the, these derbies usually have a real dynamic, and I mean, it's not an analytical thing to say, but I I think that's in a way true. Um, I, I never, I never accuse players of like only giving ninety percent at some matches and then one hundred and ten percent, so to say, in other matches. I, uh, you sometimes have the feeling that like these derbies, even for players who haven't been at Schalke or have been with Dortmund for long, um, still feel like that uh, these these matches are um, different. All, all right, um, right now no fans, basically no fans. In the stadium, so it's still like not a real derby because, like, if you've been to a uh, derby being played in the Westfalenstadion or even in the in the in the Schalke Arena, um, it's kind of a unique atmosphere. Uh, it's really um, you, you you feel that there's like a certain kind of energy in the stadium, but it's also um, sometimes it's really quiet. But you really know that there's so much on the line. Uh, because these fans, what you have to to know, maybe for the, for the listeners who don't know uh, that much about the history or so, uh, and, and and basically the region. I mean, these these cities uh, in in the in the Ruhr area, um, and it's called the Revier Derby. Um, Dortmund and Gelsenkirchen, where Schalke is located, and Borum and Duisburg, Essen, they are all like in close proximity. Basically, you know, if you if you cross the city borders, you don't really notice that you are in another city now. Is there like basically one city bunched together um these these different kinds of cities and like these people like these fans it's not really that they hate each other i mean some do but it's also like the the schalke and dortmund fans that they like share share the time and workplaces and stuff like that um and then of course like if you lose to dortmund uh, then, like all the dortmund fans you know at your workplace or uh, area and somewhere else they will just you know just yeah. insult you for the, until the next derby. So it's also kind of like for these fans, really personal. But but yeah, I mean, from from a tactical standpoint, to make it short, um, I don't really. I think Dortmund, yes, they have 
issues um, as we have seen against Lazio again. Um, but I think overall they they should be fine against Schalke um, before, because Schalke is the kind of team that they might be over their head a little bit against Dortmund and they were, uh, try to press them high, um, attack them early, and then they just get beaten and beaten and beaten all over again. You know, and uh, I think there's I, I don't really see so, how how they could beat Dortmund. And it would be interesting to see what Manuel Baum does in terms of like formation and lineup uh, because I think the four three three wouldn't yeah. work well against the three four three of Dortmund. So I don't know if he returns to the back five, but then maybe Schalke is really sitting deep. Um, and I don't know if that will work out. So I don't really know what he's trying to do. We, we just talked about that he's a defensive specialist. So um, it would be interesting to see. Maybe that's his first real test because maybe he's better suited for these kind of matches than for the the, the matches against the likes of uh, Union Berlin. So maybe, but um, that's a big if. Yeah, if you remember, like he had some really good match plans against Dortmund with, with Augsburg yeah. when, when they beat him with, with, with I remember like, Royce getting like basically double teamed with Grigoric as like the second striker and yeah it's some some good good plans but also like that was a different Dortmund but they were not playing with the you know this sort of back three and the single double pivot depending on and Reina and whatever so yeah all right then let's move on to another team that's not actually right now inside the relegation zone but that's uh, sitting in the playoff spot. Um, we talk, of course, I talk about SFT Köln, FC Cologne, you know, whatever you like to call them. Um, I guess there are two variations of their name, but it's uh, FC Cologne for an international audience. Um, so I think compared to Schalke and Mainz, they have done all right, mm-hmm. but in the bigger picture, also quite bad. Uh, what we have seen so far from Cologne. Um, I mean, I would like to, before I maybe dive into uh, how I see them, I would like to have your opinion on like Cologne, their first few matches, and also what you think about the team overall, because they have had some new signings coming in, and like there were some changes, but also I think quietly in a way... Um, I don't really think that a lot of people thought that they would be... I mean, maybe they would fight against relegation, but it's not like they will be relegated. I think a lot of people didn't expect them uh, or don't expect him to be relegated. I don't know. Maybe opinions have changed because of the first few matches in the first phase of the season and how it went. Um, but overall, I don't think... I think a lot of people thought like Cologne is um, one of these, you know, um, sites that... that uh, you know, some, somewhere around 13, 14, 15, something like that, but not lower than that. And they they don't really excite anyone, but uh, they are good enough to, you know, be uh, clear of the relegation zone. But right now it, it looks a little bit differently. And I'm not sure. I'm, I'm having a hard time really getting my re- head around uh, this team. What, what are your take? What is your take? Like, it's sort of weird because Connor aren't also one of these like rabid fan bases that can not have a middle ground like you know when they won the Zweite Liga uh was really high on them and although doing so with getting rid of Marcus Anfang which you know anyway but uh then everybody was like oh this this is a team that's gonna finish in the top 10 or whatever and then obviously we saw what happened with Bayer Lorzer we just talked about um last season and 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 now I think like 
um, they also had this huge financial troubles, right, of, of not really being able to to sign too too much, and and uh, there, was, there was like there's I think there was a game that they had to like uh, in the preseason that they had to cancel because of the Corona thing, and uh, with, with Giz, when Gizdo came in last season, um, there was a lot of promise, but it was mostly before the COVID, where he in, in, introduced this sort of young, you know young players with high pressing with. Ismail Jacobs, Jan Tielman, and it, just, it seemed like there was an exciting film in there somewhere. And now, like, most of those players are, like, not really playing that much, or th- for the longest time they didn't have a striker when they sold Cordoba, which they kind of had to do for money, and then that replaced them with Anderson. You know, they do that. And they, they're still really intense in pressing. Like, I was watching the, the Frankfurt game, and and but it doesn't necessarily, like, create that much. You know what I mean? Like, they're they're they rank really um high in the sort of pressing metrics for for the Bundesliga but it doesn't like yeah. they're not it doesn't translate into a whole lot of stuff for them because they're like you know even when, when it's like key passes or like final third passes they're they're pretty much like almost in the bottom five in most of those passes or they don't really get into the box too too often um I think they do have like a Decent amount of crossing, which they do pretty well. It's probably the one thing they do well. Um, ball progression is pretty mediocre. Like that's kind of my thing with them is that there's there's not so so like they they, lead, they have the most pressures in the Bundesliga. I think for for the stats bomb FB ref numbers. Um, the, yeah, the most pressures in op, in the opposing half, and they are also yeah. one of so they apply the most. You know, I mean, it's hard to explain how pressures are counted, but um, there's a pressing actions basically, and also one yeah. of the highest defenses in the league. Which mm-hmm. is also interesting. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, and so like that that part seems to be okay because I I mean Anderson is is okay at that, and I don't know like Duda. He's to me like I don't think he's like a great pressing player. He's, I remember him like leading the Bundesliga in fouls in Hertha one season, so it's just. It seems to be late a lot of those challenges, but Jakobs is, is very good at pressing, and obviously you can do that with Marius Wolf or whoever you're playing. My and then the the back line, I think he's Bua is very athletic, obviously, and Chihos Bornau, I think people are high on. So there's a lot of lot of good stuff, but like my 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 problems with them are much more in terms of what they want to do with the ball and how do they want to build up, and in particularly the the number six spot because they're now playing like almost like single pivot. Like last season, they played a lot of like double pivot with Hector and Shkiri and Shkiri was decent at sort of like dribbling the ball forward. But then like I looked at his numbers and he's like the bottom, like in like 25th percentile in ball progression. Um, Rick Shvichai, who plays a little bit higher sometimes, he's like 16th percentile. Hector, who was supposed to be their guy, like he's, and you would think he's a good ball progressor because, you know, He's a good passer and vision, whatever. Like he's 29th percentile, 30th percentile in progressive yards. So it's not like he's, you know, so, and, and he can be pressed. I mean, you, you saw Hoffenheim and, 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 and like, I always feel like they, they sometimes want to play out of the back, but they can't. And then, or sometimes they just like are unsuccessful and, and they give up a goal and they're just like, all right, let's abandon that. And I don't like Timo Horn with the ball too, too much. Like he's, he's also, and he's also like, he's still, one of the worst goalkeepers by uh, any advanced metrics. Like, I remember looking at uh, Poshat XG um, last season, and he was like, I think he and Pavlenka were the, the worst in the big five leagues. 
Mm. Um, I think now, I think mine's, mine's are the worst now, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's not like, it's still, he's, 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 he's kind of minus uh, 1.4 total. So he's not like horrendous, but, um, he was, I mean, I, I, I never feel comfortable when he has the ball and for now, I don't think he's like a good build up player. I think Chichos, Chichos is, is actually quite good because he was at Kiel and he has good diagonal passes with his left. I don't understand sort of the left back situation with uh, Yannick Horn. Um, I don't know. And then they, they've been rotating the full backs and Ehezebua had a nice assist and great dynamism for the, to set up the goal against uh, Frankfurt. But yeah, I just, I'm, I'm not sure. And, and I think it's also like when you have Anderson, you just have this tendency that, all right, like he's just gonna, you know, head the ball down. So just play the ball to him. So it's not really conducive to, especially if you're playing a high pressing style, like you're more likely to just be like, you know what, we're not gonna build up, especially when like, you know, we're basically close to relegation and we've lost some, I think they were unlucky to lose probably the Bielefeld and the Hoffenheim matches, like probably at least one of those, they could have tied or even one, but, um, now I think they're much more likely to just be less risk averse and just go long balls and, you know, press and counter press and see if you can create stuff, which, and the Frankfurt match kind of would support that in the result. I think they're fairly solidly outplayed for, for that match. So um, even, even by advanced stats and certainly in the first half, they looked, you know, they looked pretty, pretty vulnerable. Um, so I don't know. I mean, uh, I don't think they're as bad as like Schalke and Mainz. They're definitely, you know, by most metrics, they're you know, just the way they play. They're, they're they're much better looking, but more unluckier than them, I guess. Yeah, I think um, luck might be, or is certainly a factor um, that that some things didn't go their way um, so far, or haven't gone their way so far. Um, I think there are two, two, I guess there are two things I took away from the first few matches they had. And, um, yeah, as you, as you said, as we discussed, that they have a high press, they, they, they have a lot of pressures in the opposing half. They have a high defense line, which can also often, it can work in the Bundesliga, I think. Sometimes it can also work against you. I mean, if you play a high line. Uh, because of the space you leave behind you and, and because of the tendency of, of a lot of teams to play long balls and to play these diagonal balls. Um, sometimes you can be caught, um, especially when you have a high back line. Um, but I think what, what also is with Cologne, um, when they build up and like even the like second phase of their build up and then when they try to move downfield, um, they have, they are really, st their formation is really stretched. You know, they, they, they have, The fullbacks and the wingers are really wide, and I mean, of course, the world change of you got like someone like Marius Wolf, of course. <laughs> of course, I mean, you <laughs> yeah. also play very wide because it's like kind of his style. Um, so Isibu is also someone who likes to play wide. Um, so like basically, you got four players close to the touchline, um, and then you try to move downfield, and of course, you play. Um, to these wingers because they usually are outside the opposing um, um, defensive structure and, and maybe you can play a little bit around that but at some point you have to get through it um, and usually they can't really get through it that's why they have like clean possession to to some point and they might even have good counter pressing because they because they then lose the ball at some point usually beyond the halfway line but they usually won't get through 
Um, so it looks decent at some point, and they are also able. What I find uh, interesting statistically is that they um, con- I think they concede almost no high press shots. That, that mm-hmm. means they they usually concede almost no shots after um, the opponents apply the high press. So they are good at you know bypassing these high presses and and not um, turning the ball over early, but they then turn the ball over later. Usually, mm-hmm. um, I think even against Frankfurt, for instance, and other matches, what sometimes works for them, sometimes, really sometimes, is that um, they have they have this kind of formation with these wide wingers and wide fullbacks, and like you play for the right side, but you can't can't really get through it from at some point. You know, you're uh, five, six, ten yards behind the mm-hmm. halfway line, and then like you're basically stopped. Um, Sometimes it works that they're that the uh, players on the ball far on, on the far side, um, you know, two players so, that they are trying to make a run downfield, and you can, if you play a really precise pass, you might, you know, get the ball to them, and then they can do something a, a little bit like Frankfurt under Nico Kovac at mm-hmm. at certain points. That. Uh, during Kovac's time, you know where you got Ch- Jetro Williams, for instance, as mm-hmm. the uh, left wing back or left back, and and he was making these runs with like authority, um, and yeah, it's, at some points, you know, in some situations, he he got the ball on the far side, and like, like there was no marker there, and he was just you know he had all the time in the world, and um, then maybe scored or did something with it. Yeah, that, I think Cologne can do that sometimes, and I think it could work sometimes, uh, but I, I still believe that like, usually you won't get there and like you will be caught before even you have the chance to play these, uh, the diagonal ball. And I also like, I mean, there's a difference if you have like a left back or a right back that's uh, that's marching down and running down uh, the field with authority, and you know, you, you know that... If the if the left back, for instance, gets the ball, then you know something might happen, and he, he also can shoot from from the fifteen or twenty yards or something. But I mean, if you got Yanis uh, Horn on your uh, left side or so, I don't really think that like that's too promising, you know. Even if the ball gets to him, I mean, he can Dude, receive the ball. I I was agreeing yeah, with you. I don't really know if like he will then do like the the un the unthinkable and um, with it. So. I'm not what's, sure. I mean, what's interesting with the Williams comparison is that, like, now that I'm looking at the progressive distance and carries, and he's by far the best Cone yeah. player. Like, he's got like 200 uh, yards on on everybody on total distance. Same thing, and then he's got the second most carries, and uh, yeah, he's like he's actually <laughs> doing really well with that. Um, which I, which I, right. that that's something that I wouldn't have noticed, uh, like just watching the games. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not. I'm not really sure what, what to think of. Um, also, I, I don't. I don't know what to think of the entire team. I, I mean, if, if you would ask me right now, who is like their, I don't know, who is like their main player um, in the in the first or in, in the own third, or who is their main player, um, you know, in the middle third? Like, who are these like pivotal parts of the team? I couldn't mm-hmm. really tell you, and it was also for for me personally. It was also hard last season. Sometimes at the time, I mean, yeah. they had like these youngsters like Tielemann and so on, like, like who did quite well. And there was there was cra- like good stories behind it, you know. Um, 
and and like I, I liked that uh, they had some of these players uh, coming for the ranks and you know making a name for themselves. I think you know Skiri might be someone um, who has. Who, who plays a major part in this team and maybe they are still hoping that Anderson is the kind of striker that they could uh, be very pivotal for them. But I mean, mm-hmm. on the other end, like, like Anderson, I mean, he gets less support right now than he got at, at Union Berlin last season, yeah. which tells you a lot. And I mean, Union last season was decent, but and they were decent, um, but still, I mean, you expected them to... You know, rely heavily, lean heavily on um, on Anderson, and he has to do a lot of uh, things on his own. Right. But I think he still got mu- much more support than he gets right now at Cologne. Um, so that's also, I think, an, an issue. I think one la- one last point I want to make that was something I noticed. Um, I think they they try to have a high press, play high press, and I think that can work at times. Um, but they don't really make much out of it, you know. Even if they get the turnover, I've, I don't really think they they mm-hmm. really do much with it. Um, but what happens is also that in midfield, the the, the midfield three basically, the you know the holy midfield of Skiri and then uh, Duda as a number eight. Um, they they are really man marking the opponents yeah. quite tightly, but. Usually, like if if one of the one of the opponents, like one uh, number six or even a center back, makes a delayed run downfield, like un- until they have reacted to that, like it's already too late. Mm-hmm. It's it's something they are really susceptible to. Um, that they really t- can't react on these things, and they are dealing too strongly into man marking at times, especially in midfield. Um, and even the, even the center backs tend to follow um, strikers. Um, for too long, like uh, the, the opposing striker maybe traps back a little bit, and they follow him for too long, and then they, of course, leave their um their initial space open for you know um one of these one of these passes usually that gets through. Um, so I'm not sure. I mean, you can do a lot of man marking and can um, do man marking to an you know intense degree, but then you have to commit to it entirely, and they basically go down the Bielsa path. Um, but I mean, if you do it, like basically you, you man mark in some parts of the field and then you don't really react to it and you don't really adjust your man marking scheme. Um, if, if their opponents do some delayed runs coming downfield, um, I don't really think that works out. It's just, um, you're so susceptible and, and so vulnerable to, to these runs and also to kind of some switch plays and, you know, positional changes. Uh, quick changes, uh, strikers dropping back, um, number eights moving forward. So this just usually you you will suffer more than you will get out of it. And um, I'm not sure if that's like uh, I mean, uh, Gistel has made a name for himself as a kind of a pressing coach. So um, I guess yeah, pressing experts, pre- pressing specialists. So I, I guess I mean he understands a lot about um, how to apply high press. Now I'm really intrigued to see if he also understands how to do all the rest of it, right? How to yeah. defend the second phase, the third phase, the final phase. Um, if he really understands that, or if he just—I mean, I don't know—if he's just not up to par uh, when it comes to the final points of defending. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm unsure. Maybe anything else to add to um, this? Just, yeah, like Cologne yeah, I- part of our show today. 
What's tough for them is that, like, I was looking at their schedule, and this was supposed to be the easy start, right? Because now they have uh, yeah. Stuttgart on Friday, which is going to be really tough given the form Stuttgart, and then they're playing Bayern and Dortmund in, like, I guess, like, two of the next four matches. Um, so it's going to be like, I don't, I don't really, I don't really see them. Although like maybe, you know, maybe Dortmund will, this could be a team that Dortmund will struggle with given, given sort of oh. their issues build up. Uh, but yeah, it just, it could be another really tough season for come. Yeah. I think, I mean, if you look at their early schedule, you see home game against Hoffenheim. I know. I mean, it wasn't really a home game. They, they played in front of no fans. Uh, but you would expect them maybe get one point out of it. Then playing at Bielefeld, also Bielefeld without fans, so you would expect them to win at Bielefeld. Then the derby against uh, Tladbach, that's that's a that's a tough one. And then yeah, Frankfurt. I mean, if you look at the f- first four opponents, you would think that maybe they get um, you know four or five points there. Yeah. Uh, but they got only one. So yeah, I mean, the one point against Frankfurt was maybe the expected result. Um, but yeah, you drop points against Bielefeld and, and Hoffenheim and you are already in, in dire straits there. It's just, um, and, and now, yeah, I mean, they will play, uh, Stuttgart on Friday. I think a lot of, you know, our listeners will listen to the show on Friday, uh, the, the day of the match, and then they will, um, play against Bayern Munich and that. All right. Um, I mean, I'm I'm interested to see what they do against Bayern, especially because we just talked about delayed runs and you know leaning too too strongly into to man marking. Um, yeah, I'm interested to see how Bayern will benefit uh, from that and capitalize on on defensive tendencies Cologne have um, because that could that could get ugly at some point. I, although, I mean, we never know with Bayern; they are also um, kind of a uh, can be surprising how they how they play these days, uh, especially this season. Um, they can go from from great to worse quite quickly. Uh, but of course, this show today, our episode was dedicated only to worse things, I guess, only to bad things, <laughs> and and not to the good things of the Bundesliga. But I think um, it was worth uh, discussing Mainz, Schalke, and Cologne, three teams right now. In the relegation zone, all right. I cleared it up with uh, Cologne that they are really technical. They are not technically. They are not in the relegation zone, but um, they are fairly close, with only one point after four matches. Um, thank you, Abel, for joining me. Thank you for your great insight again. Um, I mean, I think the listeners have now. All of our listeners have noticed how um, you have an eye for detail and how you scout the Bundesliga and all the teams in the Bundesliga. Uh, although I know that you told uh, told me that um, you suffered through watching uh, Mainz build up plays, <laughs> yeah, no, a lot actually. Yeah. K- kind of got a little bit, yeah, got a little bit. Uh, you got a little bit aggressive there in our chat that <laughs> you had to watch Mainz build up plays. Yeah, it was a tough, tough part in our in our friendship yeah. with them. Really yeah, I know. I know, I know. Uh, but we had to do it, you know, all, all for all for our listeners and the fans. Um, and that's so. Uh, thank you, Abel, for joining me, and thank you to our listeners for tuning in. You can you know listen to this podcast on spielverlagen.com. You can also listen to it on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, so all all the platforms you know where podcasts are hosted. Um, so thank you for tuning in, and make sure to catch us again very soon. <laughs>